Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another edition of the Buck Off Podcast with Christopher Rennie. I am here with Jordan Williams as we get you ready for the game tomorrow in Piscataway, New Jersey against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, uh, from all reports, Rutgers has a sold-out crowd. They are doing a red-out, so it's going to be a lot of hostility in that environment. Greg Schiano is looking for a marquee win this year. We've got a lot of interesting conversation topics throughout the week to look at with the press conferences from the coaches and all that stuff. And as always, I'm here with Jordan Williams to talk about it today. How you doing today, Jordan? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, busy, tired, looking forward to the weekend. It's my homecoming coming up, but I'm doing well, and I'm always happy to talk Buckeye football. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, Jordan Williams is a Kent State alum, so he's going home for the weekend, going to celebrate his alma mater today, or tomorrow, I guess, Saturday, post-recording. Uh, yeah. You excited for the weekend? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. It's it's weird because it's just like you know, Kent is very different than what it was when I went there. Um, but uh, like especially with the pandemic and a lot of things getting canceled and stuff, there's so many people coming back. So um, it's not as structured as it used to be. As far as like there used to be like a step show and some of that kind of fun stuff. But even just the tailgate alone is going to be good. And Kent is finally good at football. So I'm going to go to the game and watch a Kent team that should be expected to win, which uh, I didn't get in my four years there and my three and a half years working for the football team. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a good week. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Ohio State's homecoming's next week against Maryland. So I actually, you know what, I might go to that game just to go to the homecoming game, represent the alma mater here. Uh, but we've got some stuff to talk about, Ohio State stuff, as we head into the weekend. Uh Rutgers, uh, big storylines, introductions to this week. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. I think the defense is where I want to get started today. You know, last week they showed uh, immense improvement. I, they gave up a touchdown on the second series of the game against Akron, and then they didn't allow another score. Uh, opponents were 12 for 12 when they got into the red zone on scoring points against Ohio State. That was not the case against Akron. Uh, you know, we always talk about how you can't really take too much from these games, but there still are a lot of positives you can take away. Uh, upgraded test this week. Uh, Rutgers is a feisty offensive team. They've got some good playmakers. Is this the first real test where we get to actually see what the defense has been made of? Because, you know, I don't want to give too much credence to the Tulsa game because it's the first time trying a bunch of new stuff. Akron is obviously one of the worst teams in the country, so... I just kind of want to hear how you're feeling about the defense going into this weekend. Um, yeah, so first thing I want to say is when we talk about you can't take too much out of like Akron and stuff like that, it's more of a you can't overreact. There's a lot of lessons you can take from that. And I just wanted to put that out there because I think a lot of people, especially people in the media, are saying the wrong things about it. And then if Ohio State ends up being really good, like are the defense gets better, they're going to be like, oh my God, we didn't know when it happened. And it's like, no, there's a lot of positives and a lot of lessons to take from Tulsa and Akron. And if it keeps trending upwards, me and Chris are going to take our victory lap because we've been trying to tell you all that. Um, people may say that we're homers or whatever, but like 
there are actually lessons to be learned from any game, even if the opponent's overmatched. Um, <clears throat> to answer your Rutgers question, I said this on the I of 70 football show, and it's funny because, like, I mentioned it about Michigan, and then, like, Dante tried to play me. It was like, oh, but if Ohio State plays a bad game, are you going to say the same thing? Yes. I believe that Rutgers, Maryland, and, and most years Purdue – are the barometers of the Big Ten. They're not good teams, but they're not bad teams. And how you play against them typically determines your season. Think about it. Typically, especially good Ohio State seasons, they blow out those teams. Look at look at Michigan when they play those teams. They either lose or they're very close games. These teams are good enough to give you a, a fight, but if you are a really good team, you should still win by two, three, four touchdowns. And so I'm very excited for this game because I think it's a barometer game, especially under Greg Schiano, which we're going to talk about, because under Greg Schiano, they went from a seven touchdown underdog to I think it's like 14 and a half points or whatever. So. I'm very excited because if Ohio State plays records like Michigan did last week and they win, you know, their version of 20 to 17, which is like a 35 to 28 or, you know, 35, 31, some kind of close high scoring game, then it's like, okay, this is not the team. The defense is still not there. Um, It's going to be a rough year and they're probably going to lose again. That Penn State game scares me. But if they come out and take care of business, they win by, you know, 17 points you know, or more, something like that. Uh, Rutgers doesn't score on all of their uh, drives, you know, a couple takeaways, some stuff like that. I think it's another test that has been passed. And people who want to be down on Ohio State are always going to say they're not playing a good team until they play a good team. So we're going to hear that forever. But I do think that this is a very important game for Ohio State to see how it looks, uh, to see how it comes together. And, uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think that last point you said where Ohio, uh, people who don't like Ohio State are always going to say they play a bad team. Like It could be Rutgers. It could be Penn State. It could be Wisconsin. Everyone's going to be like, oh, well, they actually weren't that good, even though they've been hyped up for the entire season. Uh, I was I was doing my film uh, preview today. I've been working on it throughout the day. Uh, Rutgers, and this is just some research into the team, they increased their offensive output to 20 points per game last year, one of the few teams who got to play nine games last year, uh, over it, like 26.7. And they had their most 20 points games in a season last year. Uh, so there's been immense improvement in that program. They scored more 20-point games last year than they did over, uh, I think it was the last five years is what the Rutgers website said. So if you guys want to look at this and be like, oh, it's just Rutgers and you look at the name on the helmet, then look at it that way. But what me and Jordan have been trying to tell you guys for weeks is these teams have players like every single Division One program has at least one elite football player. Like, I don't think that's a question at this point. Uh, Rutgers has put a lot of work in getting players from the portal. They've put a lot of work in recruiting their local area of New Jersey. Uh uh, the DMV, uh, it, it's it's been a team that's accumulated some talent. They have a good quarterback in Nova Draw. Uh, this team is not going to be the same walk in the park it used to be. But as Jordan was saying, like it's a 15.5-point spread. A uh, great Ohio State team wins this game by at least 21 points. Uh, so this is a game you learn a lot about what this team's made of. You learn a lot about what 
Rutgers is made of this year because if they could play Michigan close, if they could play Ohio State close, that means they could recruit in a way where they're like, we're right there. But if Ohio State beats them uh, and you have a direct comparison to how Michigan played them last week, this could swing all of this momentum back to Ohio State in the national media around everybody with fans and everything. So if Ohio State beats Rutgers by more than seven points, guess what? It's a win for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun game. It's a it's a very important game, and I like like the Big Ten is better when there are good teams in the middle. Yeah. I, I think I talk about this more on the I seventy show because about the Big Ten. That's really what the Big Ten's been missing for a while, and that's why Michigan State's resurgence is so important. The Big Ten always had its top team. It had Ohio State. It had. Wisconsin, Northwestern every other year, and Iowa. But then everyone else was a bad team. It didn't have the eight-win Michigan State. It didn't have the seven, eight, nine-win Indiana. It didn't have the seven-win Rutgers. Like, you need those middle-tier teams to increase the respect of your conference, increase the enjoyability, the watching of the games. When your conference is 12-0, and 10 and 2, 9 and 3, and then everyone else is 5 and 7. Nobody wants to see that. Um, and so I think it's like I am the biggest fan of Greg Schiano and Rutgers uh, and other things like that because I think it makes the Big Ten better. And sure, right? There may be some upsets, but like if you really, really think about it, wasn't Ohio State football fun when there was a chance that they could be upset? I mean, not like stupid upsets. Like, I will never forget the Michigan State game because they just didn't run Zeke. Like, that's just like bad coaching. But like the Maryland game, when they almost beat us, like that was a good game. Like, you don't want that to happen, sure. But like every game doesn't need to be a 50-point blowout. Um, and so this is the start to – that for Rutgers. This is year two, um, and they're going to keep getting better because they keep recruiting better. So I think, I mean, we next year, the year after that, two years after that, like this game is always going to be intriguing, and that is important for Ohio State and important for the Big Ten. Yeah, this game's uh, it's like a super personal game. Uh, Greg Schiano was let go from Ohio State because of his failures as a defensive coach. Uh, it was something that you know, kind of led them to greener pastures. It kind of worked out for both parties in the end because Ohio State ended up getting Jeff Halfley from it. And now, you know, we have a new enemy in that territory for coach that's given Ohio State the worst defense in its history. So, you know, 11 games out of the year, I'm a fan of Rutgers. I really like Greg Schiano. I really like what he's building there. But this week is a week where I think the I think Ohio State needs to absolutely make an emphatic statement. I think they have the opportunity to with Travion Henderson as a running back. I think as we move on to the next topic here, uh, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. I think this is a huge matchup for the receivers because they run a lot of press coverage, a lot of man coverage. And if they could create separation and get in space, like this could be a long day for Rutgers. So I, I just think overall uh, the offense will be tested. I think this is a team. I Last week, uh, I believe Michigan was up 20-3 to three at halftime. Uh, Rutgers fought all the way back and held them to almost no points in the second half. So this is a team that's not going to quit on any given Saturday. So I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch, especially with it being a road game in the Big Ten. 
No, I agree. And that's the important thing. Like, they're not going to give up. You know, that's some of those things about some of these games, like in some of these teams. Once you got them to halftime, they couldn't – they just gave up. And that's really where, like, the blowout started. Rutgers is not going to give up. So that's the other thing. If Ohio State does blow them out, it's not because it was a weak team. Yeah. Yes, they are weaker, but it's not because they're a weak team. They're mentally strong. They're tough. They're going to fight. So Ohio State's going to have to fight. And so I think they're going to learn a lot from this game, a lot more than even though there are lessons from Akron, they're going to learn a lot more because this is not a team that's just going to lay down and let you walk over them no matter what the score is. Yeah, and when we look back at the Akron game, one of our biggest takeaways was like in the instant recap show was Ohio State did not stop playing from that first series to the last series on – Either side of the ball. The offense played all four quarters. The defense played all four quarters. And that's the type of effort you're going to need against Rutgers, so they're just not going to go away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so there's going to be a lot to take away from this game. And I know there's going to be a lot of national media people who like Like, this is going to be the narrative, right? If Ohio State blows them out, it's Rutgers. If it's a close game, Ohio State sucks. Yeah. So we're here to tell you. Don't listen to the national media people. Listen to us. Listen to Bill Landis. Listen to people who actually know what they're talking about. And you're actually going to get a lot of insight from this game, good or bad. Yep. And that's I, that's like this is for sure the most important game Ohio State's played since the Oregon game because it's going to be the first time we've seen everything they've added and everything they've been working on against a legitimate opponent. Because you know the site I love to use, TeamRankings.com. They have Rutgers as their 36th ranked team. So like this, is, they're right on the borderline of being a good team, like a really good team, let alone just some above average Big Ten team. So it's going to be interesting. But what makes this game more interesting, as always, is quarterback controversy. And as a fan base who just can't seem to have nice things or grasp the idea that Ohio State's in a pretty comfortable place at the quarterback position. Uh, Ryan Day pretty much made an emphatic statement that C.J. Stroud, when healthy, is the starter. Uh, I think when he said that at the beginning of the week, he was pretty much hinting at C.J. Stroud starting Saturday with no setbacks. Uh, From what Garrett Wilson said today at his press conference, uh, it seems to be that C.J. Stroud's looking pretty healthy, uh, all things considered. So Stroud's going to be back under center. That's my bold prediction right now, Uh, unless something happens, which, you know, we seem to get unlucky when we record on Wednesdays with uh, knocking on wood here. how do you feel about that kind of statement? Do you feel like that week off that, like like we said, kind of like 10, 8 or 9 days of rest is going to be good enough for CJ to kind of get back going again? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know because we, we don't, don't know. really know what's wrong with the shoulder. Severity, so so. I, I hope so. Um, you know, I guess we're going to find out. But I do think it is important that he was able to get rest. And I do know without being able to speak on injuries on his specific injury, I do know that a week can mean everything um, in an injury situation. So if it's not significant um, and it was something that just needed rest, I think that I think it was immense. It was very important. Um, and I'm glad that the coaching staff was able to do that for him. And I'm sure he's happy and feels supported and that all that kind of stuff as well, which, and I'm sure he feels hungry to come out, which should hopefully lead to a better game. Um, 
so yeah, it's hard to answer the question because you don't know what's wrong with his shoulder. But I do think uh, that it could have been if it was just like, hey, he just needed rest. He overdid it. You know, yeah. maybe he threw too much in the offseason trying to, you know, win his spot, that kind of stuff. Um, no, I do think that's going to be very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I want to see from him this week, because with Ryan Day's words and, you know, like when your head coach is also the guy in the quarterback room every single day with you, you sort of build a closer bond with the head coach. Uh, he is pretty much saying like he gave him the full he uh, the keys to the whole car pretty much he's the 16 year old he just got the hand-me-down car from ryan day he's like this is yours now go drive it because uh he put all his confidence in him by saying hey there's not going to be any controversy when you're healthy it's your team and i want to see him come out in the first series with that killer instinct they talked about in the spring with that killer instinct they talked about through fall camp i want to see him come out with that level of confidence because now like even though McCord had a good game even though Jack Miller played well he has that confidence behind him in Ryan Day saying like this is your team man like we're we believe in you the coaching staff believes in you you know don't listen to the outside noise like go take it I just don't want to see him come out nervous and I think that belief should help him with that yeah I I agree um because of everything that they told us or what they didn't tell us, you have to assume that the shoulder's healthy. So I will say this, if, if it wasn't a major injury, the shoulder's healthy, all that kind of stuff, the rest helped, everyone's talking it up, he cannot slow. He cannot start slow yeah. this week. Uh, I'm going to be looking for that. I need, you know, I need some of them – so, like I need him to not sail passes for a whole f- quarter uh, and that kind of stuff. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, assuming, you know, as everyone said, he's healthy and looking good. Yeah. And I, I will say this. I, I Kyle McCord came out. He looked a little antsy as well. CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord both seem to have issues with those first couple series. Ryan Day did an unbelievable job getting McCord comfortable after that. I'd love to see that with CJ. And the only quarterback who came in confident was Jack Miller, and the game was well in hand. They were up 40 points or so. So uh, it's just one of those things. Like, they're young quarterbacks. I think this is the time he needs to take that step because uh, you probably can afford a little bit of a slow start against Rutgers. I don't want to give them – like, don't want to say it, but – Maryland next week, their offense is explosive. They have a ton of explosive playmakers at Maryland. You cannot get off to a slow start next week for sure. So this is the week uh, we're really going to learn a lot about C.J. Stroud. What's he made of? Uh, Can he come back? Does he feel the pressure still on his shoulders? Uh, No pun intended there. Uh, Let's see what C.J. Stroud's made of. That's what I'm excited about. I'm really excited to see him with the – the confidence behind him of Ryan Day. I, I think Ryan Day learned a lot last week against Akron, and I think there's going to be a different approach to the play calling in this game, and that's going to help him a lot as well. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, like we had said before, there was never any controversy. C.J. Stroud was the quarterback. Yeah. And so 
He is the quarterback. So, but I mean, he still only played three games. He's still young. He still has a lot to prove. So this is going to, I mean, every game is an important game yep. in his career. Uh, I mean, maybe when he's 10 games in, but I mean, no, that doesn't even matter because then it's going to be his first Michigan game. Then it's going to be his first Big Ten championship game. So every game is going to be a, a big game this year and he has to prove it every single game. And so, um, not expecting him to be perfect, but I would like to see some growth and my particular area of growth that I would like to see is not starting slow yeah. and not airmailing passes in the first quarter. And that's kind of one thing, you know, uh, it's uh, you look at the shoulder, if it's tight, like it does take a little bit to get loose a shoulder, but like you can't start slow. And we've seen Kyle McCord now. We've, we've seen him. He's good. He's talented as well. We all knew it, but now we've got visual confirmation of it. If CJ Stroud struggles, the Twitter the Twitter coaches are going to be out in full swing. Like, hey, look at he's struggling again. Uh, putting Kyle McCord, we've seen what he can do. Let's see what he's got again. And it's just going to be this never-ending cycle. So let's just put all this to bed, CJ. Let's have a good game. Me and Jordan are putting this positive energy behind you to go to New Jersey and just absolutely light up the scoreboard. Because that's what we want to see. Yep. That's what we want to see. That's what we need to see. And I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it on the table. That is what we are going to see. I think see. we score 50 you against them. First. I think we put up a you, 50 You heard it here first. Buckeyes are scoring 50 against Rutgers. And it's going to be a blowout because the defense is not allowing 40. Yeah, and, and we are not putting our same bow of confidence into that 40 as we are into the 50. <laughs> Yeah, no, one hundred percent. As much um, if Rutgers scores, four, as much as we believe in the defense now, we don't believe in them that much. I, Forty, uh, it's Rutgers. It's Rutgers. If Rutgers scores forty, we have a big. Well, we issue. already have big issues. Yeah, but a bigger issue. Yeah, and honestly, because <laughs> nobody nobody's put up forty on us yeah. yet. So, like, if Rutgers comes out and puts up the most points. And this is like after the supposed change. Like you can't make another change. Yeah. Like this is a bigger issue. Because like, who's the next? Play I think caller? ideally, like, are you just rotating play callers all season? Like, most points I would find like acceptable and still be a little irritated about. It's like thirty-one. That's no, no, no. If they score more than 25, 24, you got twenty-four. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's fair though. I I, I get it. This, they scored 13 against Michigan. And while I do understand that Michigan has a better defense than us currently, mainly because of scheme, they have uh, Aiden Hutchinson and they play harder than us currently. Um, they scored 13 points I, I against Michigan. If they came out, they should have at least they scored came out like, and put 31. They probably could have scored 30 against Michigan with any sort of good play calling in the red zone. No, I no, I know, I know, but still, thirteen. Yeah, so, like, so I mean, you know, and like guess the what? play calling gets significantly better. Ohio State if has, they score thirty-one against them. Ohio State has sucked in the red zone. That's why I said twenty-four. Yeah, so as long as we don't let them get past the fifty, 30. it's it's going to be good. 
<laughs> but we're, we're, yeah, we're, about to talk, we're about to talk about the defense. So we're going to get into Matt Barnes said the defensive play calling has been a group effort since he took over the play calling duties. So hint, uh, hint, hint, group effort. Yeah, hint, hint. You know, me um, and Jordan get kind of tired because I, I feel like our shows get bored <laughs> with how right we are all the time about stuff. Uh, but we said that like when – Ryan Day had his biggest issues uh, when you heard Al Washington's complaints last year about not having a role in the play calling and or not the play calling itself, but the game planning itself. You know, when you're not getting advice from Larry Johnson for a defensive game plan, that's just uh, I mean, that's malarkey. Like you should not be doing that. So Matt Barnes has said it's been a very, very conducive team environment in the play calling. Yeah. Um, what What does that mean? Yeah, you were on this first. That, like, like you said, it's that, a that dictatorship. Means, yeah, that means it was a dictatorship under Kerry Combs. Like, and, but it it was so obvious. Yeah. It was so. I mean, if you listen to the reports, right? I don't know how they sweet talked him because they didn't give him. Uh, a, they didn't give him. Uh, a co-DC job. Al Washington wanted to leave because his voice wasn't being heard. Um, like there were just like little things, like nobody would say it, but there's just like little things that you would hear and you kind of pick up on and things like that. And it, and it started with Larry Johnson saying, yeah, I've been, you know, like as far as OSU coaches recently, like hinting at it more publicly, Larry Johnson saying, yeah, I just got asked to be a bigger part of the game planning. Huh? You just got asked? First of all, First of all, all of your coaches should be in game planning. But Larry, Larry Johnson, like 35 first years of all, the coaching coach experience, a, uh, head coaching experience too at a high school. Like he's the assistant head coach of the team for a reason. Like all this respect, and he's the coach of arguably the best unit on your team historically. Like currently, I understand it's wide receivers, and it hasn't been that great. But for the last X number of years. Not just defense. That was the best position group on the field for years. And you're telling me he has not been involved in the game plan. Like, make it make sense. Like, please explain it to me like I'm three. So this is why I think you've seen a defensive improvement because I know Al Washington's gotten head coaching interviews and it's because he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, his linebacker group hasn't been the best of them, but like we're looking at what he's got to work with. Me and you have both been uh, very tough critics of it. That room's been uh, very divided, it seems like. And now it seems like it's getting cleaned up. And I think we're going to see a lot more production from it. But he's a smart guy. Uh, you look at Larry Johnson, like we said, we've been saying it. Like Matt Barnes has obviously called a really good defense so far. So I, I just don't see how this has been the case the whole time. And I think we're going to see an elite defense for the rest of the year with this team environment in the coaching staff. Like, this is how it always should have been. Like, no good business is ran by a dictator. It's ran by a bunch of really smart people. I mean, that's like saying, like, and and here's the thing, right? Ryan Day is a better coach than 
Kerry Combs, right? But Ryan Day still involves Kevin Wilson in the game planning. If he didn't, Kevin Wilson wouldn't be yeah. here. Like it's not like it's not like um, you know, some of these other offensive coordinators who they're just running like Penn State, for example, who they don't like none of them really get head co- who really get to call that offense. Um like uh, you know, Mike Yersich, yeah. Yersich. Mike Yersich. Yersich. Maybe he's not the coach I'm thinking about. Was Yersich is the one that went to Texas? Uh, he came from Texas to Penn State. After yeah, so he went from Ohio State to Texas. To yeah. Be, yeah, like him, he didn't go to Texas and get to call plays. Like you know what I mean? So like, here's the thing, right? Like, there are some coaches who impart a system on coaches, and you don't get to make any changes. And within reason, Ryan Day does do that. But there is collaboration in that offensive room, and you can see it how the offense changes. The offense is not rigid. There have been changes each year. I was watching – I was reading a Bill Landis article, and it's something that I kind of picked up on, but I didn't, like, really pick up on. Like, he was talking about how Ohio State is running more gap schemes. And and if you if you don't know, gap schemes are like power counter, like those kind of plays. It's plays where the yeah. run is designated to go to a certain spot versus zone, where it's just like the running back has to find the hole. Like the offense evolves. I'm saying all this random stuff essentially to say Ryan Day is a better coach than Kerry Coombs, but he's and he's the head coach, but he still fosters collaboration and he still at least Kevin Warren but you can't tell me Greg Studrara or any of the other coaches don't have a say you know what I mean like you can't tell me Brian Hartline is not helping Ryan Day understand what the wide receivers do best and what route route concepts work best as you can see the route concepts are different every year like we as much as we want them to be back, we don't run as many um, we don't run as many crossing routes. Well, we don't have Paris Campbell or Terry McLaurin. Yeah, like we still guys. have guys that can do it, but like they're not the same as what it used to be like. So for Kerry Coombs, Kerry Combs to come in in his first year as DC and be like, no, this is a dictatorship. It's just that's just really bad. That's like really yeah. really bad coaching. That's super ego, and you see how it worked out. And it it didn't. And you know we gave him the benefit of the doubt week one. We did not give him the benefit of the doubt after the Oregon game because there was nothing to give, and because once uh, honestly eight out of nine uh, nine out of ten games aren't good. It's not. It's you got to make changes, and if you're not going to adjust, it's beating your head into a wall until the wall, either you make the hole or you don't. And then either way, you're coming out worse for it. So I, at the end of the day, like I think you, the point about the offensive coaching staff, that is a collaborative effort. Uh, you know, I think when you bring up the running the gap schemes, running that stuff, that comes from Studera. Uh, Ryan Day's probably always had those, but until you have an athletic offensive lineman who could run powers, until you have the type of personnel that could consistently run gap schemes and move people out of spots, like you're going to rely on the zone. It also kind of depends on your running back as well. When you have a balanced running back like Henderson who could do the zone concepts, who could do those gap concepts, it really does help create more offense like we were seeing power tosses in the game against Akron like I never seen Ohio State run that so uh I, I like the adaptations 
uh, of the defense so far. And I think, you know, Rutgers runs a lot of motion, a lot of window dressing. And one of the issues Ohio State had was checks when anyone went in motion. So this is going to be a real test in that regard uh, as a play caller. I think uh, one thing Michigan did really well in the first half was timing blitzes and creating pressure up the middle. If Ohio State can replicate that, I think they're going to have a very successful defensive performance. Yeah, I agree. Um, the biggest thing for Ohio State and the biggest thing for defense in general is fly around. Yeah. I need to see the effort That's that I saw last week. Same thing we week. said last week. It needs to be from start to finish. <coughs> High energy, a lot of flying around. Keep the seam simple. Or keep the scheme simple because Ohio State's going to go everywhere. Their their players can fly around. Yeah, no, and you know they have simplified the scheme. They've added more blitzing. Um, they've added a few disguises to the looks. Like that. Yeah, and it's worked. I mean, they've had what four takeaways, yeah. really five and two games. Yeah, and think about this. When you really look at it, you know how much confusion just rolling safeties adds to it? You don't have the same amount of time to look at the blitzers. It just adds that extra second. And when the play clock's running down, you get one second to look at the safeties. Oh, this linebacker just moved. What am I going to do now? Do I have to slide the protection? Oh, now the play clock's down to three seconds. Well, we got to snap the ball no matter what. Boom. And that's all from just rolling a safety. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like, sure, maybe that doesn't work in the NFL. I mean, actually, I mean, it does work in the NFL. But, like, maybe it doesn't work as well in the NFL. This ain't the NFL. It's going to work a lot in college. It's not. That was probably my biggest gripe with Combs' defense was literally just putting a safety in the middle and running cover three or man coverage. Like, either way, the open spots are the same. It's just how you get to them. And yeah, it's been uh, and it's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing the quarterback, which is easy to do in college football because they're 17, 18 and 19 year olds. Um, this is interesting. I don't know if you know if you noticed this or if you saw this stat going around. Did you I think the team has like 12 sacks or something like that. Did you know that edges only have two of however many sacks that there is? I did not know that. Uh, I, I knew the defensive tackles that, have 10 sacks. Yeah. I knew that Williams and Garrett have like almost 60% of our sacks so far. Yeah. Well, it came up and um, I think it may be 12 total. And the defensive tackles as a group have 10 and the edge edge group only has two. And the players were talking about it and they're like, they were well aware of it because they're like, there's a competition and they talk about it. And essentially like Haskell Garrett was like, yeah, I mean, the edge guys got to eat for years. And finally, you know, the D tackles are getting to eat. And like as a player, that's cool. And like I'm happy that you're happy about that. But that is so bad. Yeah. For a defense. For your edge guys to have two sacks and four games or three games or whatever it is. So yeah, I know we were giving Zach Harrison a lot of like criticism last week for not getting any sacks last week. But he had two sacks. Uh, one wasn't a sack because it was a quarterback run and he got him in the backfield. And then the other, and he kind of made it back to the line of scrimmage. So I don't know if they even counted as a TFL. And then the other, he sacked the quarterback, but it got, uh, there's a flag on the play, a holding downfield by seven banks. 
so it got overruled. So that's bad luck. But uh, we did see a little bit more production from the ends against Akron. So uh, if they have to start throwing extra guys in the middle to protect from the defensive tackles rushing, if the DNs can't start winning one-on-one pass rush matchups, uh, I think that's actually a recipe for disaster for the rest of the season. No, I agree. That's why I wanted to bring it up because, like, what? Yeah. Like, that just that just makes no sense. And it's like, I, you know, I'm happy for the D line, right? Like for the, the interior. Well, D-line. I'm happy for, yeah, the interior D line. That's great. You're getting these sacks, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like that affects your team in so many ways, and your edge guys can't win. Yeah, and as the interior keeps adding pressure, you were going to be matched up one-on-one with tackles. Like, it's going to be the case, and they're not going to bring the back outside. They're going to have them help on the inside. So you're going to have opportunities to get sacks, and it's up to them to make the offense change their game plan so the interior can get sacks. And that's why right now you're seeing the blitzes helping everybody because the defensive ends aren't getting home at all, so they don't really have to add any help outside. Yeah. And so, like, that is definitely something uh, to be concerned about. Uh, That is something to continue watching. And you can just see it. I mean, like, as much as everyone tried to hype them up and, you know, really tried to say that this might be the year, like, they don't have it. JT has it. Jack Sawyer doesn't have it yet. But Zach Harrison just doesn't have it. Uh, You know, Javante Jean-Baptiste doesn't have it. They're just not pass rushers. Tyreek Smith, the worst, doesn't have worst it. at closing on sacks I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it's just like it's, it's like, honestly amazing it. how many times he gets around the tackle and just cannot get the quarterback down. Yeah, no. <clears throat> I, I wish I wish I could explain it. it I really, it's really, I really my do. eighth wonder in the world right now. So, uh, yeah, but I think overall the defense has me excited. Uh, I think this game's going to be a good showing for them. I hope they don't put up thirty-one points. Uh, I think I think twenty-one uh, in that thirteen to twenty-one point range is where I see them scoring this week. Uh, I will not be having an aneurysm if they score. So, because uh, I do think they have a really creative, clever offense. But, uh, and, you know, Graciano has thrown out a lot of trick plays in his two seasons at Ohio State. So, or against Ohio State. So, it's going to be fun. I think this is a game. This is, this is a real test for Ohio State. And I like where we keep mentioning this. You know, a lot of people are going to look at the name, a lot of people are going to look at the helmet. And they're going to be like, oh, Ohio State beat Rutgers by 30, whatever. You know, they're supposed to do that. But this is a really good football team on the other side. Yep. And, I mean, you take whatever stock you want to in Vegas. Um, I don't gamble, so I don't fully understand all of it. But um, it's a 14-and-a-half-point spread and not 30. That should tell you – everything you need to know about how other people view Rutgers. Also, how they view Ohio State. Like, some of that is how they view Ohio State, and you have to understand that. But still, this game is normally a 30-point spread. And if it was the Rutgers of old, it would still be a 30-point spread because Akron started out at 50 when Ohio State was terrible. So for it to be 14, it's a mix of people – Trust like people trust what Greg Schiano's doing, and they think that Rutgers is a good team. And yeah, this is never ever going to be seen as a rivalry game from our direction to Rutgers, but 
Rutgers and Greg Schiano, like it is a personal game. So they are going to have a lot of additional motivation just because of how it ended at Ohio State for Greg Schiano. And he he's a player's coach. His players love him. They're going to play for him. So uh, it's going to be a hard-fought game, and I think this is going to take us into our next conversation topic here uh, because I, I think I want to kind of get your opinion on this. I, I kind of know you're you're the Big Ten expert. You kind of follow it the most closely with the I-70 show with – uh, your big thoughts at the end of every week. Uh, how do we look as a conference right now? We're going to get into that after we go to a commercial break here. Uh, a word from our sponsors real quick, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Chris Perini. Thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, and Jordan here today. We are here talking Ohio State football. We previewed a little bit of Rutgers. Uh, we wanted to add a little bit more to the show this week, just kind of with, uh, I don't want to call it real conference play starting because opening weekend kind of is the start of conference play, but the full conference slate of games is here now. Uh, from here on out, Ohio State and the rest of the conference are playing a full Big Ten schedule, and me and Jordan kind of wanted to talk about what the Big Ten looks like at the moment and what kind of where Ohio State stands among them because this is an Ohio State show and everything has to come back to the Buckeyes here. Uh, But, Jordan, uh, as I said before the break, you're writing big thoughts every week. You're writing. uh, You're doing a show with Dante, I-70. And I just want to know, like, who are the legitimate contenders in your eyes right now for the Big Ten Conference? Yeah, so as far as contenders, I really think there's only three. Um, I think it's Ohio State, uh, Penn State, and Iowa. Um, the issue or quote-unquote issue for other teams is there's a lot of ups. I don't know. There's a lot of there are a lot of teams who can upset those contenders. Um, Michigan state is a great story. I don't think Michigan state is really a contender. Um, Michigan can work their way into that group of four, but it's hard to have three contenders in the East when they all have to play each other. So I didn't include Michigan because we're just not sure about Michigan. Michigan's always great in September. And, you know, I think you can really only have two real contenders in one side of the conference. And Penn State has shown itself to be that. Um, But there are very few easy outs anymore. And we kind of touched on that before, but that affects Ohio State, but it affects these other teams more because Ohio State has a shield that these other teams don't have. Ohio State's shield is simply this. They can put up 35 points anytime they want to. And so to beat Ohio State, you have to outscore them in most cases. Um even the Oregon game, one, Oregon's a good team, but how many teams do you realistically believe could beat Ohio State 35 to 28, could hold Ohio State to 28 points? Um, and Stroud should get better. So a lot of those misses and things like that, like, like I mean, there were 
what would you say, two or three touchdowns left on the board, yeah. off the board, and then uh, against Oregon. Two or three drives ended on fourth down and short in the red zone. Yeah, exactly. So it's like Ohio State has a coat of armor against some of these other teams that the Penn State and the Iowas don't. But <clears> – <throat> Penn State and Iowa have better defenses. Um, Iowa's biggest problem is their offense. Penn State's biggest problem is honestly Sean Clifford, but he has been playing better and he is good enough that he can hurt a bad Ohio State defense. He has progressed as a senior. So real contenders, I think there's three. I think it's Ohio State. I think it's Penn State, I think it's Iowa. But there are very, very, there are a lot of teams, really almost every team. There's no, <clears throat> there's no real team, in my opinion, that is a straight walkover. Um, you can say Purdue, fine, but Purdue has had, you know, it's prone to break out and they've looked more competent than expected. They're three and one right now. Sure, it hasn't been great teams, but. No one predicted that they'd be three and one at the end of September. You can say Illinois and Illinois is whatever, but they play hard. They're well coached and they're going to get better. Uh, If you don't have your best game against Illinois, it's going to be a dogfight. Outside of those two, though. Anyone else can beat anyone else. Maryland could have a good game and beat Penn State. Michigan State could have a good game and beat Michigan. Um, it's easier, in my opinion, for Iowa because a lot of those tough teams are on the East. You know, Northwestern, not one of those teams this year. Um, Wisconsin doesn't seem to be one of those teams this year, although they do still have a defense that's really good, so you do have to worry about that. Um, I think Iowa has a slightly easier path, but I think similar, similarly to what's always happened, whoever comes out the East is probably going to beat up on Iowa because the East, they had to survive the East. Yeah. Um, and so the big time is really interesting this year. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of I mean, I, I haven't really looked at a lot of the bottom feeder teams outside of Nebraska because they're just much they're just much CTV with how disastrous their program is right now. But I, I actually took some time to sit down and watch Iowa last week. And I think Spencer Petras is decent. I just don't think they have a lot of outside talent to really stretch the field at all. Uh, so they're really relying on just a slow, methodical offense, as always. And uh, we've seen historically with Iowa, if their defense doesn't show up, it usually turns into a uh, track beat for the other team. And it gets out of hand fast. Uh, I, I really think the Big Ten East, that's kind of where I want to turn the focus to. I think this is the deepest it's been. And I don't know if it's because Ohio State's like slightly down a little bit this year, but I think when you look at it, I think this is uh, as always. Like I know you've seen the articles about Michigan; they are like eighteen and zero in September under Jim Harbaugh, something ridiculous like that. And then in October and November, they are almost five hundred. So I, I think we're going to find out a lot about them, and then. Who's the other? Uh, Penn State, I I think, you know, Sean Clifford put up the most uh, empty 400 yards I've ever seen against Villanova. Like, I I really did not buy into any of that performance. I thought they looked very flat. I didn't think their defense performed all that well. But I think they just kind of took that game and went with it. And plus, with all the rumors swirling around James Franklin, I I mean, how, how much do you think, like, a Michigan State can catch him on an off night? How much do you think Michigan could catch him this year? 
Uh, that's kind of where I'm at because James Franklin doesn't seem to be all in right now. Yeah, I don't care who the team is. Michigan State can catch anybody on an off night. Um, I understand that, you know, it was Miami and Miami was not that good. But Michigan State has something that very few teams have. They have a superstar running back. Um He's very good. And if he's having a good game, you know, it's going to be hard to beat them. But, I mean, he has showed, you know, the ability to be slowed down, right? He had 61 yards against Michigan. So there is some sort of a, you know, I won't say it's a a recipe to how to stop it. But the other thing that Michigan State has is this is relative because I don't think there are any big good quarterbacks in the Big Ten outside of the ones on Ohio State's roster. But Michigan State's quarterback is probably one of the better ones. And the fact that he's very consistent. Um, He's the one that would scare me uh, out of anyone else because he plays that, uh, like, essentially, like, for Buckeye fans, he's Connor Cook, right? He's like he's not going to beat you by himself, but he's not going to hurt the team either. Um, Graham Mertz hurts his team, right? Um, I think Spencer Peters hurts his team. Uh, Cade McNamara hurts Michigan. Like, yeah, um, I know. Peyton Thorne, I think it's his Thorne's name. Thorne's good. I, I actually really liked what I saw from him in their last game. Uh, he delivered some big throws. That's why I wanted to ask you about him because when I, I watched him, I was pretty impressed with him. But, you know, historically, we've talked about this a few times. Any team we've played with really great running backs historically, Ohio State sold out and stopped him and made the quarterback beat them. Uh, so, like, you think Trace McSorley. Did they beat Ohio State when Trace McSorley was the target? No. Um, so is Peyton Thorne capable of putting on that upset hat if Ohio State's able to contain Kenneth Walker? Um, contain? I don't think so. But I think the best example that I can give is um, a better version of Oregon in the sense that Anthony Brown may not be that good of a quarterback, but he did everything he was supposed to do against Ohio State. He made all the key throws when he was supposed to do it. There were some big throws that he missed and some stuff like that, but he never missed a throw when he needed it. He never missed a throw when he needed a first down. He never missed a throw when he was going for a touchdown. Like He made those key moment throws, and that's what Thorne can do. So if they completely shut down Kenneth Walker – I don't really think they have much of a chance. But if Kenneth Walker is playing well, similar to a C.J. Verdell or a Mo Ibrahim, and he's getting that 100 yards and they have to kind of commit to the run, which is very much possible, then Peyton Thorne is very dangerous because he's not going to make too many mistakes. He's very much – he plays within himself. Um, And a lot of times these game manager quarterbacks – where they get in trouble is they kind of get tired of being a game manager and they want to go make a big play. Uh, So far, I haven't seen Peyton Thorne do that. And so that's going to be the problem uh, for Ohio State playing them if they cannot shut down Kenneth Walker. Now, if they can, we kind of saw that in Michigan State's last game. Um, They didn't – like they won, right, but they didn't look that good because Peyton Thorne – isn't, you know, the guy that's going to 
take them all the way there if Kenneth Walker's not playing great. Yeah, I, I think I, I was really surprised. I, I, I My dad lives up in Michigan, so a few of the people who work in his office are Michigan State fans, and I was very against him having success this year because I, I knew Kenneth Walker would be all right. I didn't know he'd be this good. I definitely did not believe in Peyton Thorne, but I think they're the surprise team. And now, like we talked about earlier, you've got Talia Tonga-Valea. You've got uh, Feisty Rutgers football team. I I just don't see really a real bottom feeder this year. Honestly, Indiana right now would be my seventh-ranked team in the Big Ten East right now at the moment. Yeah, and their biggest issue is somehow they're like Wisconsin. They lost their identity, right? You know, which fine. Graham Mertz is not that good of a quarterback. Fine. Michael Penix Jr. is not playing well. Okay, whatever. But their identity was defense, and their defense should have been able to keep them in a lot of these games, and they lost their defense. Whereas, same thing for Wisconsin, they've never had a good quarterback, but they always had a good offensive line and a good running back, and now they don't have that anymore either. So, I think I would agree with you that as of right now, that Indiana is probably the worst team because they don't have any identity. Michigan State has an identity. Rutgers has an identity. Maryland has an identity. All of them play hard. All of them have a coat. They, I mean, regardless of how you feel about Mike Loxley and uh, Mel Tucker, especially the um, Nick Saban thing and although you know people I think people consider Mel Tucker more of the Kirby Smart tree but he did coach under Saban and same tree Nick Saban's his grandfather of coaching in that sense then um they have created an identity for their teams and their teams are playing hard um they're all recruiting better I mean Maryland's recruiting the state of Maryland better they're getting transfers Rutgers is doing the state of Rutgers and the DMV better, and they're getting transfers. I mean, I literally just saw it before we started recruiting. Michigan State has five four-stars in their next class, and in the last four years, they've had four four-star recruits total in a four-year period. And that doesn't include the guys they're bringing in with transfers. So at least this year, they all have an identity. They have a style of play and they have a coach, like I, as I love to say, that their players want to run through a brick wall for. And sure, Tom Allen's that guy too, but they lost their identity and their quarterbacks playing like absolute garbage. And a lot of the reliance for Indiana was going to be on how Michael Panix Jr. was able to play. And, you know, they had preseason all Big Ten receiver and uh, Ty Freifogel, who has seemed to be non existent this year. Uh, mostly, I haven't paid attention to Indiana games, but last year he was one of the best stories in the Big Ten, and he stayed for another year. Yeah, and it's Penix thing. Like, you know, from what I've seen, I, I'm pretty sure Ty Freifogel's still playing good. I can't say that I put on the film and watched all of his routes, but it's really a Penix yeah, thing. Yeah, and he um, looks – He can't get him the ball. He looks like uh, – and I know he got injured, but it's been a complete 180 transformation. Like, he's not accurate. He doesn't have the same velocity on his throws. He doesn't have the same confidence. His mechanics aren't there. And – you know, he, he did cover up a lot of holes offensively last year. And this year he just hasn't been able to write those things off. And, you know, last year they got some sneaky wins. And this year no one's going to be surprised by a good Indiana team anymore. So uh, I, I just think this is an awesome year for the Big Ten East. You know, um, this is like the year where you wish you probably had uh, more experience on your roster as Ohio State because – 
these teams are going to be sneaky. They are well coached and it's going to be, uh, this is why I say like Ohio state's 11 and, or 12 right now. I can't remember the ranking, uh, because it's pretty much pointless because if Ohio state wins out, they are going to the playoff. Like it's zero questions about it. And that's just kind of why I, I wanted to bring this up because we're starting to play. Uh, Ohio state fans need to know the expectations of these teams. Ohio state's going to have to face. And then in the big 10 West, they actually ended up getting pretty fortunate with uh, Purdue and Nebraska who seem to be in that middle on the West Uh you know, Purdue might end up getting into that second or third because some of the more uh, established programs on that side aren't as good this year. But, you know, Nebraska, they've been very inconsistent. You know, that'll be a good matchup because we saw Oklahoma play them. So there's a direct comparison, especially come playoff committee time, if Oklahoma is still unbeaten or even a one-loss team. Uh, so it, it really is wide out, out there for us. I guess my last thing I'd want to ask you uh, – how overall do you feel this conference will finish at the end of the year? Because we talked two weeks ago and it felt like the Big Ten was the best conference in the country. We talked after this weekend and it felt like the Big Ten lost all that momentum. Um, yeah, I still think that um, I think the Big Ten will finish as the second best conference because the teams in the ICC who have jumped up have jumped up like higher, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, like there's no Arkansas in the Big yeah. Ten. Um, and SEC already has Alabama and Georgia. Um, there's no Ole Miss. You know, like Matt Corral is potentially the only good draftable quarterback in college football and if right now. He has now. a good game um, winner lose this week, and I'm just going to lock it in. He's probably going to win the Heisman. Yeah, because there's no other good football players. Yeah. Like, no, no other good quarterback. So I do think we'll still finish second. Um, I do think there are going to be weeks where we look like the better conference. Uh, I do think, you know, in some areas we are deeper. Um, it's just yeah. that I just don't know if, like, the name brands are really the name brands. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's, I, I will say this, though. I think that it depends on it also kind of depends on what you mean by the better conference, because I think there's a better chance that Penn State, Iowa and Ohio State get upset in the Big Ten, which could lead to the notion that it's a tougher conference. And if that's what you're saying, then I think I'll give you that, because I do think there are more teams, as we already talked about, who can beat anyone. Um, But I do just think as an overall, the SEC has some stronger teams and it has some pretty decent depth. Um, But I don't think it's any, I don't think it's close with the other conferences. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think the SEC and the big 10 have definitively made themselves a one and two. Uh, But I, I think one thing I always think about when people and people don't like to talk about the, the Vanderbilts, the Northwesterns, you know, the teams at the bottom, the Nebraskas. Uh, and I love putting Nebraska down there just because their historical success and then being the bottom barrel once they move to the Big Ten is just exceptional. But, you know, when I look at teams one through four, I'd probably give it to the SEC. Uh, but when I look at teams five through 14, I take the Big Ten's five through 14 against the SEC any day of the week. 
And I'm still thinking the one through four mostly is a coin toss in most of those games. I think Georgia is Georgia's my best team in the SEC right now. And I think, you know, that's a toss up with Ohio State. So we'll scratch that one. I think Alabama's the second best team. They probably beat. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like the tops. There's only historically like the last five years, Ohio State's been the top in the Big Ten. The SEC's had Georgia. They've had Alabama. They've had three or four teams get to national relevance. So uh, the Big Ten's really only had Ohio State. But I think it's a deeper conference. Yeah, um, I think I could see that. Because, like, you look at Vanderbilt, you look at Mississippi State, you look at some of these teams at the bottom of the SEC, they are terrible. And they get to wear the patch, so they get to, you know, say, oh, yeah, we're the SEC. But if they came anywhere else, they're still terrible. Yeah, no, and I think that's one of the important things about – the Big Ten this year, and we'll never never see it because the SEC doesn't travel up north, as we saw with Mississippi State, I believe, in BC, and they cried about it. Missouri, um, but which yeah. is stupid. Missouri cried about having to go up north because of recruiting and all this other stupid stuff. Like, um, first off, you're Missouri. Good luck. <clears throat> outside of Georgia, and. Well, okay, I'll just ask this one, right? Alabama, take them out, yeah. right? Is there anyone in the Big Ten that you think could beat Georgia outside of Ohio State? Uh, right now, no. Okay, so take them out. Who would you say? Arkansas could be beat by Penn yeah. State or Iowa. Arkansas is really but good. But they could be beat by But they could be beat. Uh, Ole Miss could be beat by them. Um and if they could, anyone else could. Auburn's not good. Like, I'm trying to, like, Kentucky, it would be a tough game, but Kentucky could be beat by Wisconsin, yeah. Penn State, Michigan. Like, and that's the thing, like, you never get to see it except sometime in the bowl and that kind of stuff. But outside their top two teams, and you take Ohio State out, every other team in the SEC could get beat if you compared them up. Rutgers would beat Vanderbilt. Rutgers would probably beat uh, – Rutgers would, pro- would maybe beat Auburn. Yeah, I yeah, think Rutgers Auburn would, would beat Auburn. Good. I don't think Auburn's good um, this year. Uh, I think LSU no, would so, probably be the matchup I'd probably put against Michigan. I think Michigan beats them every time this year. And, uh, yeah, and, no, I, I think so too. So um, the Big Ten is definitely a strong conference. Um I think, you know, the SEC is a little bit more top-heavy just because some of their top teams have offenses, and that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, if Wisconsin was at normal Wisconsin, I, it wouldn't be as big. But, like, if I was your best or second-best team, until they have some semblance of an offense, it's hard. Um, yeah. Because, like, I wouldn't want to see Iowa against Ole Miss. Because they couldn't keep up. Ole Miss would <laughs> – no. But, like, I would watch Iowa against Kentucky. I'd watch Iowa against LSU. I'd watch Iowa against Mississippi State, Auburn, all the other teams. I would even watch Iowa against Georgia. I think they would have a chance because Georgia's um, offense isn't that good. I think Georgia still wins. It would be very similar to that Clemson game, honestly, if they played 10-3. No, because Clemson Clemson just sucks. It would be more similar. Well, damn, because Wisconsin sucks too. We haven't had a real defensive battle yet yeah. where both teams were just really good on defense. Because every defensive battle we thought we had was just, nope, their offense is god-awful. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia doesn't get credit for Clemson no more because Clemson can't score against anybody. That's true. 
but yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten's in a good place right now. I think this year is going to say a lot about them. And I think when we look at the conference as a whole, I, I'm, I'm very happy with where it's at. You know, the West is not carrying its weight, but that's something uh, the conference has become accustomed to. But I think there's legitimately seven really good teams in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, and as soon as, you know, the Big Ten teams start firing and hiring good coaches, uh, it's going to be very exciting yep. because we're doing this and there's negative quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Like, they just refuse to, get good to hire to get good quarterbacks. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, and uh, that kind of takes us into the next thing. Uh, you know, when we talk about recruiting, there's always gimmicks and stuff and everyone loves the photo shoot days. Uh, but alternate uniforms, they've been very, uh, what's the word, controversial among the Ohio State fan base for whatever reason. You know, I'm all for tradition. I like wearing the classic scarlet and gray and the white and gray throughout the year. But I am a young guy, and I grew up when Oregon was putting out 13 jerseys a year. Uh, you come from that same generation. I know alternate uniforms always make everyone happy in our age group, but how'd you feel about the release for the all scarlet uniforms this week? I'm excited. I think they're awesome. I think they're, I, I didn't know red pants would make me as excited as I was, but I think they're unbelievable. Yeah. I just want to put this out there. Anyone who doesn't like them is a hater. Yeah, just and there's no other option. There's no other statement. Like people talking about, they don't like the all red and it's jarring. And like, how old are you? Like, sorry if we have any old people that listening, like, but like, come on, like stop being a hater. You know what I'm saying? Like it looked really good. It looked really good. It looked clean. It's going to be fun. I don't care if it's a noon game or a night game. I don't care about the helmet. Like, it, looks, it good. looks good. And I just don't understand how people don't like it. The red it. socks look and good. The red shoes look good. The red pants look good. The all red looks good. There's a reason the NFL went with the color rush look, with team color from top to bottom. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I like it. And it's and it's unique, which is important because if we're being honest, whether you like them or not, how many alternate black uniforms have we had? So many. I mean, they're slightly different. It's like maybe the block lettering's different or it's black and white and that one's black and red, but like it's black and black and black. Like we haven't had yeah. this. And that is also interesting the, because it's like they took a step out the box uh, of black or gray. Yeah, these are the best ones to me since Ohio State came out with the all gray jerseys because I did the same thing. Like the all gray ones, you know. I hadn't seen many alternate jerseys like that, especially with the red helmet stickers on those sweet helmets, because it seemed like they actually got creative with those. You know, the all red is something I didn't see. And, you know, a lot of teams uh, don't really go for the whole monochrome uh, team color alternate. They go with the all black jerseys or the all white jerseys. And it's nice to see the red, you know, being so or the scarlet being so utilized. And I need to get this conversation out there now because I'm going to be pissed. All right. Uh, old people, you ruined the blackout game multiple times. It took four years to get the blackout game to actually have mostly black shirts in the stands. I know you like your gear the way you like your gear. And I know some young people struggle with this too. So I want to bring everybody into this conversation. It is a scarlet out at the shoe. Every Ohio State fan in their right mind should own some sort of scarlet, of scarlet apparel piece. If you don't show up to that game in scarlet, you're committing a crime 
against your favorite football program. And that is where I'm putting my line in the sand. If you don't wear Scarlet to that game, you're not a true fan. Yeah. Like, honestly. And here's the thing. Scarlet should be easy. Yeah. Like, fine. The blackout. Maybe you don't have a black Ohio State shirt. You could buy one, but whatever. The whiteout. Maybe you don't have a white Ohio State shirt. Fine. You could buy one, but fine. You don't. You tell me you don't have a scarlet one. This is the easiest like that's the color main to freaking buy. Color. If you wear anything other than, you're going to accident. Our games are halfway scarlet out anyway because it's just the easiest one. If you come to that game and anything other than scarlet, you hate Ohio that's State. That's just true. And like you can come at us, I don't care. Like this is the easiest one they did it, and I think the the. People who planned this knew exactly what they were doing because every single person owns Scarlet. And I, I don't know our demographics because Megaphone doesn't tell us our demographics. Uh, but I'm guessing if you know a, a person going to the game, uh, I don't care their age, you tell them to wear red. And if everyone does that until we get to that 107,000 capacity limit, it's going to be the coolest looking horseshoe we've ever seen because we've seen the whiteout at Penn State. It's pretty sweet. We've seen the maze out at our rival school. And this is where I'm going to give them some credit. It's pretty sweet. Uh, Rutgers is probably going to have a red out this game, and it's going to be better than Ohio State's if you guys don't listen to us right now. And do we want to be worse than Rutgers at something? Answer me honestly. Uh, let's give them a second. Let's have them answer. They need to take this moment to self-reflect. No, you don't want Rutgers to be anything better at us. So we're red. We're scarlet. It's not hard. And if you don't have it, go find one of those cheap shirts that you could buy because they sell a ton of old bull shirts online and it's not hard. Go to Ask Walmart. a friend. Go to Walmart. <laughs> you can get them for like five bucks at Walmart. It may not be the best shirt ever, but it's scarlet. Yeah. And like I said, anyone who ever got me a shirt when I got accepted here got me a scarlet shirt. So I have way too many of them. So if you need one, just hit me up. Because I will give you them. They're XLs and double XLs. So uh, they might be a little loose on you guys. But that's okay. It's Scarlet. And it's a Scarlet out this shoe. And we want cool traditions like this. Recruits love cool traditions like this. So if you guys want Sunny Styles to come to Ohio State, make sure you're wearing red. This is on you now. I like that. Bullying works. We're bullying you into wearing red because... Uh, why not? It's not that hard. And it's fun. Be part of something. Isn't that the whole point of being a sports fan? The camaraderie of being part of something bigger than yourself? Yeah. Should it's be. what it's all about. And it's the school colors. And I'm going to I'm gonna just – this is going to be my message. I'm going to have this same message every single week leading up to the game. Because I'm not having anyone show up in black or white or gray. Because – it's Scarlet out. But the jerseys are sweet. Yeah, I, I just I just don't understand how you don't like them. And I really don't. They were fire. It's just like what like what do you they're want? Televise well. Like, if you don't like those, what do you want? People didn't like the black. Like what do you yeah, want? How can we make you happy? <laughs> what will make you happy? The gray jerseys were some of the Nothing. sickest uniforms I've ever seen thrown out. I hate them. They hated them. They hated them. And I we, if you're not gonna be happy about it, just don't interrupt everyone else's happiness about it. No. Uh, like here's the thing, right? I get excited about Kent State's uniforms, and they're not Ohio State. Like Kent State, had, like they pulled out this all gold look, 
And I was looking at it. I said, oh, yeah, like that's fire. Any, so anytime like, a school unveils a super sick altar, I'm like, yo, this is tight. Good for those players. Because yeah. when I was in junior college, uh, we had our, our school colors were like uh, crimson and gold, but like the yellow gold, not like gold gold. And uh, we never had any like alternate jerseys because like tradition and stuff. And then we saw like this box come in and it was a bunch of black jerseys and black pants. And I don't think there's ever been a room more excited than that room of us. And that's how every single room of football players is when they find out they're wearing alternate uniforms. It's it's literally like being a child again. It, and the oldest saying in all of sport, or maybe not the oldest, but the coolest saying in all of sports is look good, feel good, play good. And that's what ultimate yeah. jerseys provide. And Ohio State does really well in gimmick games. Like they are undefeated in their blackout game. Uh, almost, uh, shoot, it feels like every time they've worn alternate jerseys, they've won except a few games. And that's just because of the level of opponent they were playing, not because of the jerseys. So yeah. at the end of the day, it's like it's a regular season game. You know, Penn State makes their whiteout game us every year. Let's match them. Let's make this even better. And we're planning it. We're talking about this a month out because this is the type of planning it takes to execute it perfectly. Essentially, I just DM'd you Kent State's uniforms. I hope these are the ones that they're actually going to wear. I don't know if you can because I don't know if you can wear white at home. But they're also a different style than what their typical uniforms are. And I looked at it and I'm like, because Kent State's doing a white out for homecoming That's this tight. weekend. And none of none of you guys can see this unless you go to uh, Kent State's football page. But go like, check it out. Those are cool uniforms. Like, I mean, are they the greatest uniforms in the world? No. But uh, when you went to Kent State and you saw their uniforms that they had for years, it's the little things that get you excited. And These are really freaking cool. So, the players love it. So that's what matters the most. Yeah. And Ohio State's are significantly better. So if you're hating on Ohio State Scarlet uniform, you're hating on me. You're hating on Chris. You're hating on Buckoff. You're hating on Sonny Styles, Xavier Nwampa. You're hating, uh, on, you're hating, you're on, hating on Travion Anderson. Because he's gonna love them. On all You're the, hitting up there, Munford. All the DNs. You're gonna, yep, all the DNs who are about to re, who are about to commit to you, us. You think you think um, there Munford Blocko, the guy who represents all of Ohio State, doesn't like those jerseys? Come on. You're hating on King CJ Hicks, who's going to single handedly save us from the uh the what is the word? The dungeon of poor linebacker play. Yeah. Like you're hating on King CJ Hicks. Okay. We okay. hear you. We hear you. And we're very sarcastically coming at all you guys because it's super easy to wear scarlet. Oh man, that yeah. was a fun. That was fun. It's super. It's super easy to wear to wear white or black or any school color. But like, it's even easier to wear scarlet. Yeah, and it's like, come on, we're not. It's like they're not even asking the world. They don't even need you to go get new gear. It's just make sure, and I hate just singling out old people. Just make sure you tell your grandparents. And like, if they are planning on uh, this, was one of the best tweets I saw last week, uh, or when they were released. Is like, I can't wait till the Scarlet Out game happens, and then some old dude shows up in their green, uh, uh, like Columbia jacket, just to stay warm. It's like, <laughs> come on, guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, back to the show. 
uh, the Scarlet Owl will happen because me and Jordan are going to make it happen. And when it does happen, we're going to take all the credit for it because that's what podcasters yep. do. Uh, yep. And when this red out doesn't happen because no one's going to be there at halftime because Ohio State's going to kick the shit out of Rutgers this weekend, uh, we're going to preview them right now for you guys. So uh, all respect to Rutgers. We like them as people, but they're going to get the worst of Ohio State in a while because they have a lot to prove. Uh so I, I think I want to get started here. We kind of got to get rolling here uh, before we close out the show. But uh, we've talked about them a little bit. I, I just kind of want to put into perspective like the Shiano effect a little bit so people just kind of really understand it. We've used Vegas lines, and this had been a 35-point game line. This is now a 14-and-a-half-point game line uh, or spread, sorry. And uh, that's in two years. Uh Oh, Rutgers was getting beat by 35 points against Michigan three years ago. Uh, They lost by seven this last week. So this has been a monumental improvement of a program that I don't think we've ever seen before. Like that drastically. And like I say it that way because Rutgers is historically terrible. Yeah, I mean, they've only been good once in their history, and it was when Greg Schiano was there. And they're they're probably never going to reach that level again because it was in the Big East and not the, the Big Ten, and so it's a lot harder for them to reach that level. But literally, the birthplace of college football, and they've never been good except the three- to six-year stint that uh, Schiano was there the first time, or however long it yeah. was. And, like, you know, this used to be a walk in the park for every single team in the Big Ten East. It was a walk in the park for Maryland. And now it's a coin flip game for those two teams. So I I just – I have to give Shiano a lot of credit because, like, he brought in names like Isaiah Pacheco. He brought in names like Aaron Crookshank from Wisconsin. He brought in all these, like, talented players to the portal when he first got there. Last year he had Brendan White from Ohio State, uh, the former safety. So, like, he's done a great job of working the portal. He's already in cruiser recruiting like tenfold. And, you know, he's got something figured out in that Jersey area. And it's probably because he's from there, uh, that people just haven't been able to figure out outside of him. Yeah. There are certain States that are like very big on, um, people from that state. Ohio is one of them, which is why, um, which is why Luke Fickle, sorry, missing names, which is why Luke Fickle is such a good coach in Ohio and why some people are like, he will never take the USC job. He will never take a job that doesn't allow him to recruit Ohio. We don't have to go into this, but someone said that Luke Fickle would potentially maybe work at Penn State, and that's intriguing because that's close to Ohio. But we don't have to talk about that. That's a whole uh, podcast. I honestly. still think James. Yeah, I still think James Frank. That's an off-season podcast that we're going to get into when James Franklin takes the USC job. Um, that's why Mark Stoops is good in Ohio, even though he's at Kentucky. He's an Ohio guy. Rutgers, well, not Rutgers. New Jersey is another one of those states. New Jersey likes New Jersey yeah, people. You, they speak a certain language. Have you ever met a person from New Jersey? Yeah, I did a. I lived in New Jersey for three months. I did an internship because out there. Everyone from New Jersey makes it known that they're from New Jersey, and they're very proud of it. Oh yeah, and it's like, and and don't mention New York. Like you would, you would think that New Jersey is not sandwiched in between Philly and New York. Like to them, Jersey's the best thing on this earth. Like, um, and here's the thing: I was reading the recruiting confidential. 
you probably wouldn't pick this of New Jersey, but supposedly, at least in their mind, they play a really physical brand of football, yeah. which kind of makes sense. Uh, you think of some of the linemen that they have and some of the linemen coming from New Jersey. Uh, and like that's why they fit in the Big Ten. You know, That's why a lot of Big Ten teams recruit them. And people don't know that about New Jersey. They don't expect that about New Jersey. Um, and so New Jersey people... I've never said New Jersey so much in my life. And I'm trying to like say what I'm trying to say without keep repeating the state name, but I can't. Um, People in that state like people from that state because they have a certain culture. They have a certain belief. They have a certain style, a certain way that they talk. They act a certain swagger. And it's, it's similar to Texas. You have to know how to talk New Jersey. You have to know how to work with those coaches. There are certain states like Georgia's not one of them. Florida's not one of them. Like anyone can go in those states. New Jersey, Ohio, um, Texas. There are certain states where like you it's Texas. you need to have a guy. And Siano is a Jersey guy. So is Halfley, by the way, which is why a lot of people like him at yeah, Boston College. Well in yeah, but uh, no, Siano is a Jersey guy, and he is going to do a really good job. Um, speaking of their 2022 class right now is ranked 18 nationally, and they're ranked four in the Big Ten. They have a four-star commit from – they have the number one player in the state of New Jersey. They have the – they have the number one offensive tackle in the state of New Jersey. They have the number one – where are these people's positions? And when – and, like, when you're talking about, like, recruiting your own state, like, putting a border around that state is extremely important. That's why – Everyone talks about why Ohio State's at such an advantage because they don't have any direct Division One like rivals in their own state. They have a lot of surrounding ones, but it's why they could lock up their first 12, 13 recruits in Ohio immediately and then go nationally immediately. Yeah, but like just really quickly, they have the number one player in the state of New Jersey, the number one player in the state of Kentucky, the number one player in the state of New York. New York is right next to New Jersey, obviously. They have the number seven player in the state of New Jersey, the number eight player in the state of New Jersey, the number 14 player in the state of New Jersey. They have a guy from Pickerington Central. Interesting. He's a three-star offensive lineman. Um, Number 19 player in the state of New Jersey, number 22, number 29. That's like five or six players in the top 30 of the state. All three stars are higher. That's how you lock down a state. And it's early, right? I don't know where all these players are going. I don't pay attention to New Jersey recruiting, but two, three, four, five, and six either could not be recruited yet, could be recruited to somewhere else, but there's a chance that they are going to go to New Jersey or they're at least going to listen. The number four ranked class in the Big Ten, like, They've never done that before. Yeah. That's a Shiano thing. Like, and that translates to the field because as we, we've talked about and we're gonna whatever, like they play hard for Shiano. Now imagine him with actual talent. It's crazy to think about, honestly. And this is something I put in the show notes. Uh, the running joke among all of the people who cover Rutgers and like all the fan blogs and stuff is that uh, you don't want to wake the sleeping giant in New Jersey. And it's because there's a lot of local talent there, and they really do have a lot of upside and potential there. 
Uh, it does unfortunately suck. They do have two for sure blue bloods in their conference and one borderline blue blood in their division, but they they can be a competitive team for years to come under Shiano, and that's kind of what he wanted to build. Yeah, and here's the thing, right? No one's saying that Rutgers is going to, um, you know, win the Big Ten, but is it realistic that Rutgers could be Michigan State? Yeah. First of all, not last year's Indiana, but is it realistic that Rutgers can be Indiana? Can win six to eight games a year. First of all, if Rutgers won six to eight games a year for ten years in a row, they would build Shiano a statue. Yeah, would- but if they could be Michigan State, where they're winning seven to ten games a year and occasionally challenging to win the Big Ten East, that's that's a for sure a statue. He might get the stadium named after him. <laughs> so, and the six to eight is very much possible. Yeah. But if they keep recruiting that, the seven to ten. It could get there. It could get there because they're they're going to be better than the. They're going to be better than the. They're going to be better than the Maryland's, the Purdue's, the Illinois, like those ones. <clears throat> they get those easy wins, and then they just have to upset one of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa. Don't let them get one of the bad crossover teams. Don't let them get a Nebraska on their schedule or something like that. Another easy win, like. Then you get the then you get the the pay schools right. You get the Kent States in there, the the the, the Bowling Greens, yeah. the Akron's. They start beating those teams. Eight wins is there for yeah, them for sure, and I think that's something that you know they. I think the fan base because they've been bad for so long has those realistic expectations. Like seven and five is an insane year for them, and you know. As much as I don't want to put it out there, Rutgers beating Ohio State would be their the Seattle would get a statue for that, honestly. Like in not even this year. I'm saying in like the next decade if they do it. Like that's where like they were at as a program. This would be them climbing the mountain. That would be all they needed, and they could just dis, div, uh, evaporate as a school into the air. Um and that's just it's Rutgers, and I'm excited to play them. I, I think Rutgers fans have always been kind of fun to interact with because they just they're very self aware, and that's kind of why I like leading into this game. Um, you got any players uh, on Rutgers you're really excited to watch or kind of see what they do against Ohio State? Yes, um, I can't think of his name. <laughs> So I'm just going to say their linebacker. Um, Rutgers has a linebacker who had a hundred tackles last year um, in a nine-game season. Yeah, that's absurd. Uh, I mean, he's he's really good. We have talked about uh, hundred tackle linebackers at Ohio State. I don't think we've had one in almost what uh, like uh, it was like twelve years. It was. 15. It was no, it wasn't that long. It was Rayquan okay. McMillan. Yeah, so like six or seven years ago. It was, yeah, it was him, and then there wasn't anyone for a while after that either. Yeah, so it's crazy, and in nine games, that's even crazier. So uh, I, I think that's exciting. I, I think uh, when you look at the quarterbacks we've played, I'm really excited to see Noah Vidral because he's a dual threat guy. He likes to get active in the run game. Uh, he's not scared to take shots downfield. I think he's going to do a good job of testing the defense in three three dimensions. And that's kind of something I want to see how this defense responds. Because last week, uh, you know, DJ Irons did his best to do everything he could, but he, they were just so overmatched everywhere else. I think, you know, with Pacheco, with the skill players they have, 
I think Rutgers can stretch us out a little bit and kind of try to do some things. And that's kind of – I'm excited to see, I guess, the receivers and the draw, what they're able to do because I think their line still going to be overmatched. But I, as I said earlier in the show, Rutgers likes to get really creative. Uh, I think their uh, offense coordinator, Steve Gleason, something Gleason, is very clever. He likes to motion a lot. He likes to do all that stuff. So I just want to see how the defense responds to the window dressing, to them stretching the field horizontally and vertically. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm excited to see, how the defense responds to that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I cannot say this guy's name, but he his number is number three. Just so you know, uh, it has been four games. He has thirty six. Yeah, tackles. he's a freak. Honestly, like he's good. He has and and four games he has thirty six tackles, six and a half tackles for a loss, and two and a half sacks. He will play on Sundays. And four games. Yeah, which um, Rutgers didn't have those players that, like three or four years ago. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, in case you were wondering, that's that's good. Yeah. When you know we have uh, a player who plays fifty three snaps and gets no tackles, uh, not this no. guy. He Andy, Andy has a force fumble already, so he's good. Uh, he's a senior. He's uh, fast, strong. Um, he's smart. So. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be fun seeing him, especially against. Um, Trevion Henderson. Um, and uh, see how the line handles him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's get this thing uh, closed out here. Uh, expectations. What does Ohio State need to do to make a statement in New Jersey? Like, what is it, things you want to see from our players, the offense, the defense? Like, uh, quick minute here. Let's see. Uh, what, what, what do you think? What do you, need, what do you need to see this Saturday before we head out? Yeah, so I need to see – I need to see three things. One, I need to see the offense put up points. That may sound stupid, but like I need to see a, a similar performance to Akron, but with the starters. Um, I need to see. I don't. I don't want to see Tulsa. I don't want to see Oregon where they're struggling. It looks nice at the end. They have 28, 34 points, whatever. Like they need to put some drives together. I want to see two, three, four drives in a row where they're scoring, even if one of them's a field goal. Like I want to see them, you know, put some drives together. And one of the biggest things that you see with Ohio State is flipping field position. If that drive stops, it needs to stop at like the forty-five, the fifty, where you're coughing, corner punting, that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to see the. Offense look good, and I want to see it be complete. Like I would love for Travion Henderson to go for three hundred yards. Like that's beautiful, but I need it to be like a complete offensive showing. Not Travion Henderson just saved our ass on defense. Um, I just need to see first and foremost, and I'm going to probably say this every single week until it becomes common that we start to expect it. I need to see pride and effort in the defense. I need to see people run into the ball. I don't need perfect execution. That's hard, especially it's only three weeks into the new scheme, but I need to see effort. I need to see pride. I need to see some hard hits, some blitzing, some people who act like they really want to be there. And then I need to see a couple of game-changing plays. I understand it's not going to come from the edge rushers. So a couple of sacks, Tyleek Williams, Haskell Garrett, some big runs, uh, a forced fumble, a couple of interceptions. It doesn't have to be returned for a touchdown, although three weeks in a row would be great. But I would like to see uh, a plus two or three turnover margin and any form of big play. Tackle for a loss, sack, forced fumble, interception, block punt, anything like that. Um, 
and I would be, you know, pretty happy. Yeah, I think you're you're pretty close to what I need. I I, I said I I want an explosive passing performance from Ohio State, but not in the same way where they put up 400 sort of empty yards against Oregon. I want to see like 350 yards of crisp passing offense where Stroud goes like 22 for 27 throws three or four touchdowns and we come out of this game very excited like hey this is awesome and then when you talk about balance like that's probably my thing number two is balanced offense i think the best offensive output you can have is 300 passing yards and 200 rush yards if you put up 500 yards of offense with that sort of stat line i think you had a very productive day on both sides and that means you kept the defense guessing the entire time which is why it was so easy to put up 500 yards and then my final thing on number three, uh, you took the effort one from me. Uh, not took it from me, but you said it. But I want to see some life from the edge rushers this week. Uh, you know, Tyreek Smith should be back. Javante Jean-Baptiste should be back. JTT, you've got another week of experience. Jack Sawyer, you got a lot of playtime last week. You know, uh, Zach Harrison, you get the most snaps of any defensive end. I need to see some pass rush production next week from the edge guys. And then once that happens, I could put my full belief back into the defense. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with that entirely. Uh, what's going to be inter- interesting. There's going to be two things. that's going to be interesting. One, just as we wrap up and not to get into totally new conversations, Ryan day kind of admitted that Travion Henderson was a starting running back. When someone asked him how many snaps should he get a game? And he said around 20, I would like to see 20 Travion Henderson snaps, yeah, 20 snaps. It's a better defense, but 20 snaps, that, that sounds like 150 yards and two touchdowns. Well, it's to averaging like 11 um, yards per carry. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I want to see 60. Um, I want to see 60 JTT snaps. He's been in like the 40s. He hasn't really been able to get his rhythm. He's made some like wild plays, but he hasn't got the sack. Like he's had some like bullying, some offensive tackles, not just putting the whole thing together. Has I don't think he has got his first sack yet. Um, so I want to see some like I want to see some more JTT. Yeah. I want to see some to him allowed. I think we all do. So I think that's a good thing to end on. Uh, this is going to be the JTT show. That's another thing we're putting out in the air. Uh, and uh, last thing, uh, uh, Haskell Garrett wearing his own NIL gear, uh, NIL gear during his press conference. Oh, I, I that's tough. paycheck comes uh, tomorrow or Friday. Uh, I will be having an impact shirt come. Whenever oh, it gets yeah. ordered and comes in, no, no, because no. I really like. I'm, liked I'm it. getting that. That was tough. I'm getting that. The other show I was looking at before we started recording is the Scary Terry that T-shirt. I don't know if you saw that yet. Anyone listening, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's like a, um, it's like a Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, type they put thing. the Friday the, the, the Jason mask on <sighs> Terry McLaurin, and it is money. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I'm getting that one too. So, but yeah, it, it's uh, exciting. I, I'm excited. I really liked Haskell Garrett's gear. It looked pretty good. He's got some other. He's got a Haskell the Rascal shirt. We all know how I feel about that nickname. Uh, not getting that one, but getting getting the impact one. And uh, no, we should do it. We should do a bet. And if you lose, you have to buy a Haskell the Rascal yeah, shirt. Uh, I don't know what the bet's going to be because we agree a lot. But anyone who can think of something that they disagree with, Chris, uh, at him on Twitter, make him bet you. And if he loses. He has, has to buy and wear 
I have to go to the Rascal T-shirt. And I am a betting man, so I'll probably take it. But uh, <laughs> that's going to be it for us today, this week. Uh, you'll see us. Oh, actually, you'll see me on the Instant Recap. Jordan is going to enjoy his Saturday at his homecoming. Yes. Uh, so, Jordan, uh, where can we find you? Are you still doing the I-70 show? Uh Yes, so you can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. Uh, you can find me on the I-70 football show on Monday. You can find me on Buck Off, obviously, the instant recap most weeks except this coming week. Um, I do the Big Thoughts article that drops every Monday, and I do occasional articles as they strike me on some very interesting, like, and I try to do in-depth stuff, so you can uh, you can find me pretty scattered. I do respond back on Twitter, so, you know, at me if you want to have any sort of conversation, even if it's to tell me I'm stupid. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, but you can tell yeah, me. you can you know, tell us speech. whatever you want. We're just not going to agree all the time. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. I've got my film preview for Rutgers dropping tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, kind of just depends on when I get it in. Uh, working on it, cutting the film now uh, as we speak. Uh, even though you're listening on Friday, that doesn't make any sense to you because you should have already read that. But uh, it's every Thursday and then you'll have my film review on Monday. And then lastly, you'll find me on the instant recap every week uh, within an hour, hour and a half after each game. Uh, so you guys, uh, thank you guys for coming. As always, leave us a nice review. Leave us some ratings. Give us some confidence going into next week as Rutgers will for Ohio State. And that's how I'm selling out this show. All right. See you guys next. Uh, see you guys Saturday. Go Bucks.